Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. That ringing sound is a bell on top of a brick chimney and there's 26 bells and 26 chimneys with the outline of a house spread across a beautiful gorgeous field. But this beautiful scene is the site of an absolutely horrendous event. In 1943 when the Nazis had occupied Belarus there was an attack on a German convoy nearby and in retaliation the Germans came in and killed everybody in this village and took 186 people, shoved them into a barn and set it on fire and then killed everybody who left. Hello and welcome to the penultimate episode of Edgelands. In this episode Ash Bardwaj continues his trip through Belarus this time avoiding any further confrontations with border officials, and he travels northeast to the capital city of Minsk. Hey, how you doing? Nice to meet you at last. How are you? Good to meet you. You well? I made it in one piece. So I've arrived in Minsk and I've just come outside and there's two big Stalin-era buildings outside the front. But it's nice, it's a gorgeous evening. I'm here with Vitalik, who's looking after me, friend of a friend who's looking after me here in Minsk. And I've made it to the capital of Belarus. Now you can never really predict what Ash is going to get up to next. So it shouldn't have come as a surprise to me when I found out that shortly after arriving in Minsk, he travelled four kilometres west of the city to meet a stranger outside a supermarket who would then lead him to an unknown location to watch some secret theatre. We are about four kilometres west, northwest of the centre of Minsk, and we're here to see the Belarus Free Theatre. We, we had to meet a lady at a supermarket near the metro, and now we are stood outside a half-built building. And there's about a dozen people gathered around, and we don't know exactly where the performance is going to be. I've been, I've been told that it's going to be choreography and not in Belarusian or Russian, so I might be able to understand what's going on. Tell me, what is the Belarus Free Theatre? So I've heard a great quote from somebody which said something along the lines of, 
in a society when the journalism is no longer free, theatre takes the place of the critic of government and society. Huh. If you look at the history of totalitarian or authoritarian states, theatre has often been a way to express dissent, to get people to begin speaking about things, to spark discussion, or to introduce alternative ideas. And this was certainly true in the former Soviet Union, where theatre groups were an important thing when journalism was not doing those things, when journalism was just a mouthpiece of the state. Now, whilst I did not feel any sense of authoritarianism or totalitarianism in my experience of Belarus, my understanding from what people tell me is that a free press is not necessarily totally free in Belarus, and that open discussion or questioning of the state is certainly not to be encouraged. And the Belarus Free Theatre was set up some time ago, and its first couple of performances had a political angle to them. I can't remember the details, but I think there were bits about gay rights, there were bits about freedom, so all sorts of things that, if you put them in a performance in London, would be absolutely fine. Hmm. And so one of the things that apparently does exist in Belarus is that any performance has to be approved by the equivalent of the Ministry of Culture. Really? Ministry of Sports and Culture. That means that only government-approved stuff gets shown. And the Belarus Free Theatre, from my understanding of it, gets around this by putting on performances in unique locations or in secret locations or in places... Guerrilla kind of theatre. Guerrilla theatre. Yeah. Cut to the chase. I found out about the Belarus Free Theatre, contacted them, and was told to be at a certain place at a certain time. Very interesting. So it's actually a similar kind of thing to the secret, you know, you get secret cinemas and you get punch drunk theatre in London. Yeah. Similar kind of thing. But our, what we're doing in the England, in London, I guess, is more uh, secretive for the sake of secretive, just because it's fun to not know exactly what you're about to witness. Whereas here, the secret element is actually necessary. It's a really interesting analogy, actually. And when you think about whenever you turn up at secret cinema, they, they're always trying to create this sense of intrigue and fear. Mm. And you must go this way, don't tell anyone, because that's an exciting, thrilling thing. Whereas in Belarus, that exists because they don't want to be arrested by the police and thrown in jail. It's okay. Yeah. So what is Belarus Free Theatre? Well, first, it's an independent theatre. But also, if we talk about artistic part... It's a, it's a theater where audience is involved like to the limit in the process of the of the performance since the room is really small and the distance between the audience and the actors is like just basically there is no any distance between them and you feel like you are involved in the whole performance and also this theater is interactive one it means that they keep asking questions to the audience they they would cook a cake and share it with the audience once have been to a new year performance and they prepared some small presents for us so it's a constant communication between the audience and the actors which which makes you feel like part of the of what's going on and makes you think deeper about the problems that they, they are talking about. So it's, it's impossible as a listener to imagine what you're actually seeing here. So describe what's happening. We were met at the secret location and taken 
along a few roads to what looked like a construction site. There was a multi-storey building that looked like it had just never been finished, and then a small low building. We went into there through almost like an airlock, and then it was a room about the size of half a squash court, and the roof was probably about 10 feet high. So we were on benches along the long axis of the room, looking into a white-painted space. And in this white-painted space, there was a covering on the floor, and there were some rings coming out of the ceiling, almost like butcher's hooks with rings on them. Mm. So the closest performer was maybe six feet from me, and I was on one of two benches. And there were three of them, one of them facing the wall at the rear, and then two of them closer to us on either side of him. And all three of them were topless, and they had almost like fishermen's trousers, sort of baggy cotton trousers on. And Similar to what you're wearing now, then? Well, absolutely. You know, I just like to, <laughs> like to roll with that traveller style, Greg. <laughs> yeah, so here you can hear them kind of going, ooh, 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 and kind of building each other up. What are they doing? Are they kind of in each other's faces, or are they... No, they, they were interacting, and I asked the two girls who I was with, what language were they speaking? And they said uh, a bit of Russian and a bit of Belarusian. So Belarus, um, not everybody speaks Belarusian in Belarus. It's something that tend to, tended originally to have been only in the countryside, originally. As the Soviet Union became more and more significant in the country, people in the city spoke Russian, in the countryside they spoke Belarusian. In recent years, Belarusian has been this um, language that's used more and more as a sign of identity, and to sort of throw off that Soviet heritage. So often people who are more liberal, moving more towards the West, use Belarusian um, as a sign of free thinking. And also it's very popular amongst the young. But the Belarusian free theatre often do their performances in Russian so that more people can access it and more people can understand it. What these guys were doing was they were doing a very contemporary, very alternative type of performance dance. I don't watch a lot of alternative theatre mm. or contemporary dance so for me it was just an experience for, for that. If I'd have seen this in England it would have been mind-blowing to me anyway but it was this completely compelling experience. I was completely engaged in it from beginning to the end and you had the one guy at the back and he had a piece of pottery on his hand and he was he was trapped and he put his hand in the pot and then it was trapped and I, the other two were almost expressions of his character and sometimes they were encouraging him and sometimes he was asking for help. But the experience of all three of them was they started lying on the floor in sort of fetal positions. And they went through this very painful process of standing up, very contortionist. And the only uh, thing that I could draw an analogy to was giving birth. Okay. I mean, I've never given birth or being born. You're not, okay. Uh, and then they uh, basically ran around the room screaming and doing various remarkable pieces of athleticism and gymnastics. This went on for an hour. I mean, these guys were super fit, super athletic, 
the the way they interacted with each other and the way the whole thing was choreographed from beginning to end was remarkable. And there was often these... I asked the girls what they were saying to each other. I mean, it was hard like an, an, a, a narrative of performance and conversation and transition of story, but that happened more through the movement and the way their movements changed. And there'd be these moments of crisis where they would be like really contorting their moment of calm and then crisis would return again. Uh, but they were saying things to each other like, where is he? We're waiting for him. I can't hear him. And, you know, having this background of Belarus Free Theatre's political expressions, my feeling was that there was some sort of expression against the oppressiveness of the state. But then that's me casting my own um, opinions on it. And I, are, I got the chance to chat to the director afterwards. Exactly is ayahuasca. It's an Amazonian brew, and they make it with the roots of a couple of different plants and the roots of a vine called ayahuasca. And it's used by indigenous tribes in South America, and they call it a medicine. And the reason is, is it's administered under very controlled conditions by shamans from various tribes, and they use it as a way of introspection and healing. First of all, you you lose complete sense of time, so. The experience might last four hours of real time, but the subjective experience for the person who's imbibed the ayahuasca is something that feels like 10,000 years. The second thing is you, uh, you lose your sense of ego or self, so there's this dissolution, so you don't quite associate yourself with what's going on. And the third thing is you relive or experience things that are part of your memory, and some of them are interpretive experiences of, of trauma. And I tried it many, many years ago, long before I was doing any of, the, any of the work that I do today. And it was a phenomenal experience. And as you're going through this experience under the, under the guidance and management of a shaman, there's nothing about it that I would say is recreational. It's definitely a therapeutic experience. And the reason why I referenced it there is I can remember when I was going through this experience, having these moments where I felt like I needed to escape from something in my past. When these shamans talk about it, they talk about your demons. They're basically just programming memories from your past that are still with you that you don't realize are affecting some of your decisions today. It is a traumatic experience. And these guys running around in the Belarus Free Theater going through these screams and, and asking these questions, where is he? You, when you go through the experience, you have lots of introspective questions as well. Who am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? And the, uh, the feeling of being trapped in a thing, that you keep having moments of calm, and then the terror, that is my experience of ayahuasca, you go in and out from calm to terror. It was like this, it's being trapped in terror, and then you start to feel calm, and then you feel terror. 
And that's what that reminded me. Но он говорит про свой опыт, что когда ты... Не нужно никаких книжек читать, чтобы это смотреть. Спасибо. Oh, so the free, so the free theatre people. Yeah, it, is it a case of? You can be yeah, they, they by the police for a few hours. Like, um, it was a case like uh, two years ago, the last one probably that the police came and they just detained the the audience and they the, the, the other people. Yeah. So who are we hearing from here, Ash? So Tatiana and Ksenia were two girls from Belarus who I was put in touch with before I went out there, and so I met up with them and. They'd been to, one of them had been to Belarus Free Theatre before, so they were both really interested in going. And so it was fascinating to not only hear their thoughts on that particular performance, but also its context within Belarus, because I'm intrigued by how the country's changed, and whether or not it feels authoritarian. <laughs> oh my goodness, we need to tell Helen Mirren and Patrick Stewart about this. It's, it's very dangerous to go to the theatre in Belarus. Yeah, if you go to the free theater, yeah, that might be an issue. Hmm. So if you do theater that is not approved by the state, you can be detained for it? Yeah, yeah, you can do because, you know, it, like, to be honest, the last time when the, uh, the people were detained at the free theater, I'm not sure what exactly happened. Maybe they were noisy, maybe the neighbors called the police saying that the neighbors were being noisy and that's why they came. Right, yeah. so it might not be just for going to the theatre, but it's used as a way, if they need to, to stop people yeah. doing it. Yeah, but as far as you can see, it didn't stop them, yeah, luckily. So it's, it's kind of underground theatre, but if the police really wanted to know where it was, it wouldn't be too hard to find. Uh, yeah, because they, they have a, a group in the VK, it's social network that is popular here where they post the announcements of their performances and also like, like any, anybody can join this group yeah, and it's not that difficult to find the place. So this is in the metro now. Oh, there's music playing, lovely. I find that extremely surprising to hear that just simply by going to watch the theatre you can get detained by the police. When you hear that, that definitely puts truth on this notion that Belarus is an authoritarian state. Now they've said in that that it's something that doesn't appear to happen now and that maybe even the authorities know where the performances are going on, which means that it seems that that kind of authoritarian approach and that level of police status at least changed in Belarus. And I spoke to a couple of people about this and they said that there really has been a big change, particularly since 2014. What has seemed to change is the way they deal with people who are opposed to the state. So as before, activists and journalists may have been locked up and detained more. Now they seem to get heavily fined for what they do. So still not great. Still not great. It's still a limiting of their freedoms, but it's a way of not suffering the opprobrium of the EU or other international groups. 
to the same extent. Here, we're near Minsk, right? We're in Minsk. In Minsk, This yeah. is Minsk, the capital. Yeah. In Minsk itself, there are these two areas that have opened up which are new. And they're certainly new to the culture of Minsk. And I met a, another girl who had grown up initially in Russia and then she moved to Belarus. And she said three or four years ago she wanted to leave Belarus. She said she felt like it was a very grey, very cold place where she couldn't really express herself. Nothing exciting was happening. And then she said that within the last four years, this sense of new culture, this freedom of idea and expression and creativity has come rushing into Minsk. And there's an area which is along a road that used to be an old factory road. And I think it's called October Street. And it's the hipster district. And you go there and all the menus are in Belarusian, in the cafes and restaurants, mm. which is part of the expression of identity and counterculturalism. They seem to at least be allowing people to express themselves creatively in a way that they hadn't done four or five years ago in Belarus. It's so important to be able to do that for a society. I have no insight into what the long-term view of the state is there. What is Lukashenko, who's the, um, the president of Belarus, what does he want? You know, there's... There's often this narrative that the countries that are on the former Iron Curtain, along the border, the border with Russia, they have to make a choice. Are you aligned with Russia or are you aligned with the West? Do you join the um, Commonwealth of Independent States or do you join NATO and the European Union? And I feel that for Belarus, maybe they're saying, why should we have to choose? Why can't we go our own way? It's undeniable that Lukashenko is definitely strongly aligned with Putin, but it seems that he is becoming more free from that sphere of influence. You know, Belarus is where the Minsk agreements that put a ceasefire or at least withdrew the heavy weapons from the war in Donbass in eastern Ukraine. Minsk and Belarus were the brokers of that. Mm. So in many ways, they're creating their own path. From Minsk, Ash travels on to Katyn, around 40 miles northeast of the city centre. In the early 20th century, there was a village here where 156 people lived in 26 houses. That is until everything changed on March the 22nd, 1943. That ringing sound is a bell on top of a brick chimney and there's 26 bells and 26 chimneys with the outline of a house spread across a beautiful, gorgeous field. And it's full of flowers, there's pink thistles, there's some gorgeous blue, I think they're a type of bluebell, purple flowers, yellow, and you can hear the wind rustling the grass and the trees. But this beautiful scene is the site of a absolutely horrendous event. In 1943, when the Nazis had occupied Belarus, there was an attack on a German convoy nearby, and in retaliation, the Germans came in and killed everybody in this village. They took 186 people, shoved them into a barn and set it on fire, and then killed everybody who left, and then burnt the village to the ground. And uh, one 56-year-old man survived, and he came, crawled back the next morning to find his son, who then died in his arms. How did you feel being here? I think it put a lot into context. When 
you visit Russia and Belarus today, the great patriotic war, as they call World War II, still lives centrally to their national identity and what it means to be Russian and Belarusian. And initially, I, I didn't understand why they still celebrate the victory of the end of World War II to such an extent. Why is it still so important? I mean, there's, you know, people like Sean Walker of The Guardian has talked about the political reasons behind that. But it's only when you go to somewhere like Katyn that you understand quite what that war meant and did to that part of the world. When you think about World War II in Britain, you think about the historiography of it. There is the great and noble defence and standing alone, the Battle of Britain. Then there is the genius of Monty in North Africa. Then there is D-Day. And it all happened over there because we had the channels separating us from Europe. Yes, British soldiers suffered and died. And yes, British civilians suffered during the Blitz in particular. Belarus took the full fury of the German offensive. And as a nation, Belarus pretty much got wiped off the map. And the memorial here is one of the most moving memorials I've ever seen. At the site of each of the houses of Khatin, there is a outline of the house and the chimney because when the Germans burnt this place down, all that was left was the brick chimneys. That's all that remained. And on each of these symbolic chimneys with the bell on top, there's the name of all the people who had lived in that house before they were murdered. And there's an incredible sculpture at the entrance of the man who survived with his son and he's holding his son in his arms and there is a flower bed running up to it and at the moment that flower bed is red like a river of blood leading down to Khatin. And there's also a wall with the names of all of the different concentration camps that the Nazis set up in Belarus and there's a very unique graveyard it's got 186 plots in it and that's one plot for each of the villages like Khatin that got completely wiped off the map by the Nazis. And each of these graves has the name of the village and then a, a pot of soil from that village. We talk about Russian defensive mentality and their fear of being invaded by the West. And we say, well, you know, it's, it's being paranoid. And for them, they're like, well, that's, that's what you said in 1941. <laughs> and they remember the date of the German invasion uh, 21st of June 1941. Everybody knows that in Belarus and Russia because that was the day that they were betrayed by the Germans when the Germans launched their attack. Everyone has a relative who fought in that war. And it was, it was not just what it was for us, which was liberating Europe from tyranny. From them, it was reclaiming their land and stopping this horror happening, this, this hell happening in their country. I think it's quite hard to imagine that level of inhumanity and horror. Yeah. When you go somewhere and stand in this beautiful place and you stand in these outlines of these houses and you think about the fact that in this house, in this place, generations of people had lived and loved and argued and ate and played 
And then because of the reaction to a, an attack on a convoy, all those people were wiped out and died in such a, a horrific way mm. as being burnt to death. It's important to just remember about the, the trauma and horror and the effect of the civilian of war. It's amazing to think this happened only 75 years ago. And as you stand here in this beautiful surroundings, hearing nothing but the wind and the tolling of bells, it's an extraordinarily powerful reminder of how inhumane people can be. Outside the front of each of the monumental houses, there's a concrete gate that's open next to the path leading to the house. That symbolises the hospitality of the Belarusian people. And I have encountered nothing but generosity and friendship in my time here, which is quite remarkable considering what they went through. A quarter of Belarus's population was murdered by the Nazis during the war or died in the fighting. And there is a plot of three birch trees and then one empty plot with the eternal flame in it. And that's to represent the quarter of the population that didn't make it through the war. Imagine a quarter of the people being murdered or dying. It's quite horrendous. Thank you to Ash Bardwaj for sharing your experiences from Belarus. If you want to find out more about Ash's trip down the Russian border, you can register for free on telegraph.co.uk forward slash edgelands, where you'll find photos, videos and written features from Ash himself. And you'll also be able to hear the final episode of this series of Edgelands, which is set in Chernobyl. I've been Greg Dickinson. Thank you so much for listening and we hope to see you very soon. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.